Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the supreme power of God. And so if you could turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin in Genesis 1 and work our way all the way through. Good, good 10-minute sermon. Well, what I want us to see, though, as we do this, as we open up the Scriptures, and from the very beginning pages, right from the very, very beginning, you are confronted with extreme power, power that often gets overlooked. And so let's pray to the Lord and ask that He would bless our time as we study His Word. Father, we're so very thankful for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are our strength. You are our fortress. You are our strong tower. You are our buckler. You are the one who goes before us and is behind us. You are the one who upholds all things, sustains all things, and allows us to have our our being even right now as You're in this room upholding and sustaining all things. Yet we don't see You with our eyes. You're invisible to us because You are not flesh as we are flesh. Oh Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You give us Your Word and I ask, oh Lord, this morning that You would speak to Your people and that we would by faith believe the truth of who You are. Open our eyes, Lord, because we can do nothing apart from You. And we ask this in Jesus. Amen. What I want us to see, starting with this morning, is this idea of the power of God and the fact that God's power creates from nothing. From absolutely nothing, God speaks and creates. In Genesis 1, we have the most outrageous display of power documented in recorded history. In fact, it's so remarkable that so many people tend to dismiss it. Yeah, right, as if. As if God just spoke. Yeah, seven days to create all this? Yeah, right. You know, you would need, you would need millions, if not billions or trillions of years for this to come about. No, you just need one extremely powerful God. That's all. Here the Bible affirms that God merely spoke and heaven and earth came into existence. If you look at the very beginning, what you're going to find here is a phrase throughout. God said. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, God said, God said, God said. And he says, speaks eight times in Genesis 1 where he speaks and things are created. And here's the thing. When God speaks, let's notice what happened. The first thing we notice is that God says, let there be light. And there was light. God just says, let there be light. And there's light. That probably woke you up. It kind of woke me up. I didn't expect that. God, then God says, let there be a firmament that divides the water above from the waters below. And guess what happened? There's a firmament. God said, 
let the waters be gathered together under the heavens in one place. And then you know what happened? We have oceans and dry land. God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herbs and fruit trees. And lo and behold, there they were. God said, let there be lights in the firmament to govern the day and the night. And then we had the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so sometimes we look at this and we think, this is just too marvelous. This is too, uh, this is too amazing. Who could do such things? Who could speak? These, we're talking not minor things, but major things. The, all the elements of heaven and earth spoken into existence. And when God saw all that he created, he said it was very good. And so at the end of all of this, everything that we behold, if you look around the heavens and the earth and what you, the things that you see, do you realize what you're seeing with your eyes is the manifestation of the power of God? God speaks and all these things come into existence. I want us for a moment, I'm going to do something that I haven't ever done before, show you some pictures. I want us to marvel for, for a second at this because I find myself, whenever I look at the things that God has created, just by looking it just reminds us, us and helps us to marvel that God is awesome, that God is powerful. I've got here, I mean, this is a bad picture, actually, really bad. They've got so many fabulous uh, images of this nowadays. But here's, you know, they say, here's where we live. You're this little speck that you can't see on there inside the Milky Way. You know, how many of you have ever watched these particular videos or movies that they show all the galaxies and, and it's just all of a sudden you start to feel really small. You ever watch those things? And as you see them, it gets a little freaky and weird. For me, sometimes I can't hang out here too long because I just, I start tripping a bit and getting a little bit, uh, I start coming undone. And I, I find myself saying with David, the psalmist in Psalm 8, when I consider the stars, and the heavens, and the things that you've created, the works of your fingers. Who is man that you're mindful of him? This gets a little unnerving. So God speaks, and this is just one of, of uncountable galaxies. They, they don't even know where it ends. Should that surprise you? No, because our God is infinite. And I'm sorry, folks, you will not find the end of him. You will not find his beginning or his end. And you can keep on searching and searching, and what you become is more and more unnerved because he is awesome. And, you know, if we zoom in a little bit, we get a little closer. Now, here's Earth, and there's the Milky Way band in the background. And sometimes I just look at that and I marvel. How does that thing just stay there? There's no string on the top, no string on the bottom, because in my world, I need things like that to kind of give me reference points. And when I see things just what appears to be just spinning in a circle, I'm thinking, hey, wait a second, one little alteration and we're done. I mean, things have to be, they have to remain. We can't get closer to the sun or further away. There's all these things that have to remain. Yet every single morning we wake up, and just like it has for thousands of years, everything seems to be working just the same way. This is power, folks. This is the Word of God 
saying, be and it is. And there, it's just obeying him. And it will forever until he says stop, if he ever wants to say stop. Amen. We get into earth and we see the grandeur and the beauty. We see things like this. We say, our God is awesome. I sometimes look at the mountains that he creates them. And mountains have the sense of awe about them. They make you feel small. You look at them and they're powerful and you think, whoa, wow. Our God is awesome. Then man builds his little houses in the valleys and next to them. And it looks really cool but we're really small. And this is the, the power and the awesomeness of God as the sun is governing the day and he puts clouds and he's got the heavens there and the grasses of the ground and all these things as we just read. He's created them. He just spoke and they come into existence. Marvelous, awesome, and powerful is he. And we move the, to the tropics. We see things that are beautiful and glorious, the trees and the oceans. Is that your New York? Yeah, that's <laughs> the backyard. <laughs> And there we have, I thought that was a super cool picture of a lion. There's a black lion. I've never seen one of those before. But there's God creates the beasts of the field. He says, let there be, and he creates, he creates marvelous creatures like this. And the assortment of them. How many of you have watched this, the new series, The Planet Earth 2? Have you seen this? The two's out now, and you should watch it. It's pretty fascinating. And I, I just worship the whole time. It just my heart overwhelms. Like, God, you're awesome. You're powerful in all your ways. You Not only did you speak it, they come into existence, but he upholds it and he sustains it and he governs it and he rules it. And, it, and, and what the, those shows do, they kind of they pull you away from your little tiny perspective and give you the grandeur perspective of the world and all that he's created in all of its glory. He creates animals like this, big old beasts. Right? Little tiny birds. And their glory, each has their own glory. Each has their own powers and abilities, their strengths and their weaknesses. And just the world is filled with them. And we can marvel and just stare at them. How, that's why we love those movies. We're just like, wow. Wow. We're staring into the glory and the goodness and the power of God as He speaks these things and we marvel at them. And then there's us. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah. The glory of all creation. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Because, you know, I think that, you know, part of what I love about that is that we've, since the fall, this great creature, we've inherited weakness. And because of sin, there's so many effects as the result of it. And one of the greatest effects is our blindness, our inability to see, our inability to perceive. We can't see the things of God. We don't perceive them very well. And as a result, our faith is weak. The power of God creates from nothing. And yet we take it for granted and we live in what he's created. And so often we neither thank him nor glorify him as God. But God's power is awesome. I also want, to, want us to cease and understand something, that God's power overrides the created order. In creation account, God speaks, God said, God said, God said, and it comes into existence. We have all the elements in this world. But after that, 
you'll notice something. God no longer speaks and creates things. He speaks and he works within the things he's created and with the things he's created. Throughout the drama of redemption, you have God speaking to his creation and working within it and with it in ways that begin to marvel us and show us his power. If you, if you think about probably the first great incident of this where it really manifests itself is in the Exodus. It happens on a big scale. God's voice is actually not even heard at all. But he, through Moses, is causing supernatural things to occur. God turns the Nile red with blood. He sends gnats and flies and hail and locusts and frogs and lice. And all these things are the things that he's already created, natural things. They aren't something new. He simply is acting through the things that he already made to accomplish his will. And as a demonstration of his utmost power, here's the fascinating thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not. What did you hear about all the creatures I just spoke of? What's one common denominator? They're all tiny. One thing that just fascinated me about that. If God wants to show his power against the greatest nation on earth at the time, don't you think he would have done something big and gnarly, taken a mountain and thrown it on top of them? Lightning from heaven. No, he says, I'll send flies. I'll send lice. Oh, how about frogs? Locusts. Every single one are these tiny, tiny little creatures, and he sends them in hordes. And they topple the greatest nation on earth at the time. I mean, clearly, uh, there's, there's the angel of death at the end, which is, I mean, okay. That was pretty uh, wild and nasty. But if you think of it, God topples a mighty nation with little tiny creatures simply because he said, go get them. Go get them. And, and, and God says, well, you know, I don't even want to, in order to show you my power, I don't even want to do it myself, and I'm not going to speak. I'm going to have an agent do it for me. His name's Moses. Moses, do this. Moses, do that. Take your staff, put it here. And then God ups it a little bit. So he overrides creation in, in, in so many ways. He whistles and flies come and do his bidding. But then as it moves on, now we start to see God actually overriding the natural order of creation. So he's created an order, he's created a pattern, and he overrides it. What does he do? He sends Israel to the edge of the Red Sea, and he says, now you're going to see my power. But what do they see? They don't see, oh, oh, look at our God, he's so awesome, he can do whatever he wants. Look at all the, the things that he just finished doing. He just finished doing that, surely he could do something else. No, they see a Red Sea and they see this mighty army on their, on their backs. And what do they conclude? Oh, lovely. He brought us here to kill us. I mean, any person who can, who can do math, simple math, can tell, okay, we have no weapons, they have all the weapons. They're a mighty army, we're just a bunch of families walking out of Egypt. Um, thanks, God. But what does God do? God says, I want you to see my power. 
And God says, Moses, lay your staff in the sea. And he does, and the seas part. And Israel walks through on dry land. Then they end up in a wilderness. And in the wilderness, there's no food and there's no water. But Israel, once again, does, they don't know their God. They don't understand his ways. They don't know his power. But yet they should have. They've seen it. But they still doubt. And so instead of bringing food from the ground where it normally comes from, he says, I'll feed you from heaven. So it brings the bread, the manna from heaven. And instead of water coming from either a stream or a fountain or a river or a well, he says, nah, nah, let's do the exact opposite. I want to demonstrate to you my power. Moses, go and tap the rock. And out of the rock comes a river of water. Well, that's impossible. You are so right. You are so right that is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? All things. You know, this overriding of creation, this demonstration of power is the very marker that he indeed is God. I am God. I am over all things. All things are under my feet. And this is the whole thing that Jesus does when he shows up in his ministry. In John chapter uh, 10, verses 37 through 29, Jesus says this, If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is me and I am in the Father. Do you understand what Jesus' point is here? He's saying that the works he accomplished in their sight proves that he is the Son of God and one with the Father. He's basically saying this, they couldn't be done if this was not the case. Come on, Israel, you know this. Who? Can anyone can anyone override the, the, the creation, override the rules of creation, override you know all that the God has established? God has said that it's going to work this way. Now, if God said it's going to work this way and someone else can go and trump the way it wor- works, that one must be God. He's saying, who ever in the creation of, of the earth, who has ever been able to speak over top and override creation? Who? But God alone. He says, if you don't believe me then, just believe my works. So you've seen what I've done, right? Just think of it. Jesus turns the water into wine. Bam! By speaking. He causes thousands of fish to jump into the disciples' nets. He makes a withered hand whole again. He makes paralyzed people walk. He walks on water. He calms the storm. He causes fish and bread to multiply. He raises people from the dead. He casts out demons. He gives the blind sight. And oh yeah, he raised himself from the dead. And I've just given you a small sampling. One of the things that you'll see about Jesus in his life is that he says, hey, if you don't believe me, believe the works. 
What did I do from the beginning? Go read your Gospels. And one thing you will note is that this man is different than any man who's ever walked the planet or ever professed to be. One thing that's, that's definitely uh, unique about him, if you look at him, is what? All of creation is subject to him. These are, these are beyond marvelous. Whoever wrote this, if they made it up, is like a whack job. It, it couldn't be made up. It's laughable. It's beyond jokes. You know, nobody, nobody does this except in cartoons and comics. But Jesus, every step of the way, one thing you'll notice is that all of creation, pay attention, all of creation is submitting to his word. This, he's not just walking on water for something to do. Look at me. Let me show off a little. He speaks to storms. He does things that are supposed to make you go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Nobody can do this ever except God. God alone can do this. We also see the power of God in the fact that he, he plays with mighty nations. So God just doesn't override creation and create things with his word. We think of mighty nations that often people think, whoa, they're so awesome in their power and what they're able to do. God sits in heaven and laughs. He laughs. I love what was read for us this morning in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 15 through 18 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. We can understand that when we look and we saw, see the Milky Way. God says, oh, the nations, they're not much. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. So the imagery here is like he just, behold, this is God, could take up the coastlands, just like fine dust in your hand, all the coasts, no problem. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. You think, now here's the imagery of a burnt sacrifice. And Lebanon was known for its massive trees and forests. He says, take all of Lebanon, all those trees, and and all of its beasts. They don't suffice for a sacrifice. They don't, they're not comparable. They're not a comparable sacrifice. All of it doesn't, doesn't do justice to the God that you're trying to do it towards. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? And then down in verse 21 of that same chapter, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He, he sees imagery. Have you ever gone to open your curtains? You take these curtains, you go up to them and go, Phew. he says, that's what it was like for God to stretch out the heavens. There they are. Marvelous. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The princes, the nations, the rulers, Yonsville to God. 
He says, scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, and when he blows on them, they're gone. That's what he says. The tempest carries them away like stubble. Stubble. Unbelievable. We're supposed to grasp the power and the grandeur of our God, that the nations are as nothing to him. He plays with even the most mighty. In, a, in Isaiah 45, God is speaking to King Cyrus. And King Cyrus is the ruler of the Persian Empire at this time. The greatest empire on the earth. And it would shortly fall. But listen to how God speaks to Cyrus. In Isaiah 45, 1 through 7. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. Basically this imagery of, he says, I went up to Cyrus and I grasped his right hand. And he did this to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings. To open doors before him, the gates may not be closed. I, God says this, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places. That you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I have called, called you by your name, and I name you. Though you do not know me, this is fascinating, though you don't even know me, I'm doing all this. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The Lord our God takes Cyrus by the hand, he says, and I went before you and behind you and I did all this and you didn't even know me. You didn't even know I was there. How many, our lives, you, we go through life and we don't even understand that we got, it's in God that we live and move and have our being. He's here right now and it's like, where, where, where? God's presence is everywhere. He upholds all things. The reason why you're sitting on your chair and it works is because all things are upheld by Him. He governs all things. Yet you don't, as he said in the text, you don't even know me. People, you don't even know what's going on. And you get so used to the way I work and the, so used to the things that I do, God says. You walk and you move and you have your being in me. I'm right there and we say, oh God, please show me, show up for me, show up for me. He's like, well, I'm right here with you. I've already said to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I've already said to you that I dwell in you. I am with you, the God of heaven and earth, the one who speaks and brings things into existence, the one who overrides creation, the ones who makes, who plays with mighty nations, dwells in you and is with you. If you are in Christ, 
Christ is in you. And our problem is always, always believing it. Always. And here's something I want us to understand. The power of God is only ever manifested, and hear this word, through, through those who believe, through those who trust him. Now, the power of God in saying this, the power of God is manifested all around us, but we just don't see it. But if you want to see the, see the power of God working in you and through you, that requires those who believe. Those who believe and those who trust, God does mighty exploits through them. And he's delighted to. This one who's just nothing but raw power, who can create all things, who's infinite and eternal, whose power is like beyond your even comprehension. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that is impossible for him. Jesus made a statement in the Gospel of Mark, was probably the most famous statement in regard to this. We don't even understand what God wants to do. We, we don't even understand how, like, what God will do to those, for those who believe. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, Jesus says to the disciples, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. What? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That word right there is often just too much for us. And what we run into in, in, in even seeking to, to live out the promise is is a very quick exposure to our small and limited faith. We find that I have trouble asking for, you know, little things without doubting. I ask and, eh, I'm not sure. And we doubt. We, if you ever want to see how weak your faith is, just try to go ask for something even small without doubting. And you find out, woo, I got mm, wee faith. Small faith. But do you realize that the number one reason we do not see the power of God on our behalf is because our unbelief. We refuse so often to step into situations that are beyond us or situations that just might be not be safe or maybe uncomfortable because we're afraid of what might happen. And as a result, we often never give a chance, uh, give any chance for us to see the power of God working through us. Do you realize that your flesh, my flesh, absolutely hates stepping out into unknown places? Do you know what you hate about unknownness? It's unknown. I don't know if it could hurt me. I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if, um, I'll make it through. I don't know if it'll be something I'll, I'll like. Anytime unknowns come to us, we're like, we're tripping out and, and our flesh absolutely hates those scenarios. I can guarantee in this room, there's not a person who, here who just absolutely loves walking into the unknown. Most of us like want to ask, 
who, what, where, when, why, you know, the more data you can get. And if you're a real control freak, you just keep asking questions because you have to dial everything in. I don't want to walk in there. What will happen? <laughs> it's I don't know. And when you don't know, that's not a good space to be in. But yet when we obey our flesh, we never see the power of God working through us. Augustine once said, faith is to believe that what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. George Mueller was a man of faith in God, in God's great power. The primary reason he wanted to start his orphanages, his ministry, do you know why? His orphanage in England, he wanted to start this because he wanted to show Christians that God could be trusted even for the impossible. He says, I want a a living example so I can show Christians and demonstrate to them you can trust God and He will provide. So, as he was faced with the most impossible situations, he would then simply go to God and pray, pray, never telling anyone else, and then God would show up on his half mightily, on his behalf. He had prayed in millions of dollars in today's currency for the orphans, the orphanage, and he never asked anyone directly for it, ever. That was his policy. Never ask anyone directly, I'll just pray for it. And millions of dollars came in. He never took a salary for the last 68 years of his ministry, but trusted God to put it in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took a loan out or is never in debt, and yet neither he nor any of this 100,000 orphans that, that came through his orphanages, over 100,000 orphans, they never experienced one day of hunger. Apart from the the orphanage ministry, Mr. Mueller lived out his faith in everyday life constantly. On one particular occasion, the Muellers set off from the United States, or for the United States in August 1877 aboard the Sardanian, or the Sardian. And while they were off the coast of Newfoundland, the weather turned cold and the ship's progress was seriously impeded because the fog was so incredibly dense. The captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours when Mueller appeared and said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. To which the captain responded, uh, That's impossible. Very well, said Mueller. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement for 52 years. Let us go down to the chart room and pray. The captain wondered which lunatic asylum Mueller was from. Mr. Mueller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? To which Mueller responded, My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God, who controls every circumstance of my life. Mueller then knelt down and prayed simply, very plain, very quick. And when he had finished, the captain was about to pray, because this captain was a Christian as well. But Mueller put his hand on his shoulder and told him not to, and said, First, you do not believe that he will. And second, 
I believe he has. And there's no need whatever for you to pray about it. The captain looked at Mueller in amazement. Then Mueller said, Captain, I've known the Lord for 52 years and there has never been a single day that I have, not fa- that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, open the door, and you'll find the fog gone. The captain walked across the door, uh, to the door and opened it, and the fog was gone. Do you realize it was the captain himself who retold this story? This wasn't Mueller's retelling of it. This is the captain who was just utterly blown away by this. Mueller himself said, if we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore, through trial, be strengthened. Do you realize that if we're to glorify God's power in our lives, we must live by faith? But what does that mean? We can't live our lives trying to be safe and comfortable and complaining when hard things befall us. Because those are just nothing but opportunities to walk by faith. When we complain, when circumstances and difficulties and the impossible besets us, what are we doing? We're just like Israel standing on the edge of the sea. We're just like Israel in the wilderness. Complaining and grumbling against God. And God's like, oh man. I give you a little opportunity for you to see my power in your life. And it's like, it's like you don't want to see my power. And the whole reason we don't see his power is because we never believe. We never walk into circumstances. We never find ourselves into situations and the circumstances around us that seem impossible. And in those circumstances, believe. That's the problem. You have to understand that you're only walking by faith when what is in front of you is impossible. And but then at that point, you're confident that God is going to work it out. That's faith. Faith is living in the assurance of God's power because he has said that he is with us and that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that my God is with me. Why can you be so confident? Because he said. And the person who's confident in him, confident in his word, confident in his promises and stands on it, finds out God to be true and everyone else a liar. Finds, finds their God to be powerful. Faith is not Worrying, not worrying about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Why? Because he's promised that he'll provide it. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Why? Um, God is for you. The one, the maker of heaven and earth the one who plays with nations, the one who overrides all creation, the one who, in him there's nothing impossible. He says, man, just go look at the lilies of the field and how God clothes them. Just go look at the the birds of the air and how God feeds them. But they're not freaked out. Yeah, but Dean, you don't, you don't know, you don't understand. You don't understand the situation. You don't understand how 
Now, we're down to the wire here, and God hasn't acted. Yeah, but you still have lots of food in your pantry. Try being down, get down to the real wire. What God often wants to get us to is this place where we can truly see his power, and you truly have to be in the midst of the impossibility in order to see it. But we hate that, don't we? Our flesh hates those situations. And that's the thing. It exposes our unbelief and exposes our flesh. And we realize our own weakness. And, oh, God, I can't even trust you for the little things. Just think about this for a moment. Here's a real simple way, and it's, it's just you can, you can see it fleshing out in our lives. You ever get to the a situation where you've had, there's, there's, not, there's more money that has gone out in a particular month than has came in? And now that puts you in a little bit of a bind, doesn't it? Those are tough months. And in those situations, do we take in those situations and do we tithe in faith? What do we do in those scenarios? We typically shrink back. We typically say, God will understand. You know, this is, this is difficult. This is tight. Things are tight. God, you know. You know how things are. He's like, yeah, I do. And I'm the one who led you here. I wanted you to see my power. And I wanted you, I wanted to show up on your behalf, but you're just, you're so unbelieving. Why? Oh, you have little faith. Why don't, why don't you just act? Why don't you obey? Why don't you just do what my word says? And then, then you could actually see me show up on your, in your behalf, which I delight to do. Because nothing's impossible for those who believe. Because God's, it's just so rare. It's so rare to find people who actually, actually, in the nuts and bolts of life, believe God. Even the disciples, so often Jesus is like, oh, you of little faith. If you only understood. And here's the problem. We hear all these words about God's power. God created heaven and earth. God overrides all of creation. Oh, it's, it's God who plays with nations. And we can talk a big game, can't we? Oh, it's so easy. We might even talk in the foyer about how powerful and awesome our God is. And then God brings something into our lives that seems like a difficult struggle and an impossibility, and we freak. What's going on? I don't know. And we're stressed out. And we're like, ah. Well, I, I thought you believed in this God, the God of heaven and earth. I thought you believed that He's his word, his promises. Well, I do, but... Well, I think sometimes, you know, it would be better to say, more honest, say, you know what? I know I doubt him. God, I doubt you. And this is like, confess it as a sin. Don't make an excuse for it. The best thing we could do is actually just confess what it really is. And confess it to him. And, say, and to come to him with that weakness and be, and be disgusted with it. Don't make friends with it. You gotta learn to hate that stuff. Like, oh Lord, look at me. Look how pathetic I am. Cause you think of it for a moment, you know, ah, we say things, I would never deny Jesus. Well, well, hey, if you can't tithe when it doesn't look like you have the money, let me just tell you this. If someone has a gun to your head and says deny Jesus or gonna, or die, you're gonna deny Jesus. It, it's like Jesus says, if, well, if you're not faithful with little, you can't be faithful with much. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you trust God because you believe propositions about him. 
You only trust God when you're actually met with the impossibilities in your life, and there you say with all confidence, I serve the God of heaven and earth, and he is with me. Do you know what we really need to do? If we want to strengthen our faith and become people who are really trusting God and believing that he has all power and nothing's impossible for him, if we're to live and walk in that way, we've got to be filling our hearts and minds with what is true. Let me just suggest to you in closing, that he who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit will walk according to the Spirit, and he who sets his mind on the flesh will walk according to the flesh. We need to be people who say this aloud with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who've made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Say that one every day. That's how you should wake up every morning and just fill your mind with the truth. Or how about Psalm 147, 4 through 11? God determines the number of the stars. He gives them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food. And to the young ravens that cry, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His steadfast love. That's who He delights in. Say that one to yourself every morning. How about ten times a day? Or you could go and recite one of my favorites that I almost every day recite. And I stand on it, and I like to say it out loud if I can. Depends on who's around. If no one's around, I'll say it out loud. The Psalm, Psalm 27, 1 through 3. And I would say, memorize this, folks. The Lord is my light and my strength. The Lord is my light and my strength. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom? Shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, even then I will be confident. Because he knows his God. His God is supremely powerful. And he's with him. You've already been told. You know, here's the truth. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Jesus says, fear not, for I am with you. And and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You've been told. These are the kinds of scriptures that we should meditate on, fill our hearts and our minds with. If that's in the forefront of your mind, you tell yourself, fear not, for my God is with me. Fear not, Dean, for God is with you. God is in you, the God of heaven and earth. Fear not. Tell yourself that. I'm telling you, preach to yourself. Fear not. Repeat these scriptures. This is the truth. 
And these are the kinds of things that we should fill our hearts and minds with. A confidence in our God. But if you just go around and all the situations and circumstances of life just come and hit you and you meditate on them and you look at the impossible and you dwell on the impossible and you dwell on your situation, you dwell on your circumstances and you're just the voice of the world is constantly coming to you, I tell you what, you're going to be weak. You're going to, you're going to fall. You're not going to walk in faith. It's only the truth of God and who he is filling our hearts and our minds that allow us to walk by faith. And I just ask that God would grant you all, grant you all the faith to believe it, that you would pursue God and come to know him and not just hear one sermon about his power, but meditate on his power. Fill your hearts and minds with these things. Know the truth, live the truth. And when you walk in the truth, you will walk and act by faith instead of unbelief. Fill your mind with lies, and I'm sorry, there's nothing but failure that awaits you. Or just be indifferent. Don't fill your mind with lies, just don't fill your mind with truth. And in that scenario, what you're going to find is that you find yourself failing. If you want to stand strong, you need to be standing strong in the Word of God as it fills your heart and your mind, meditating on it. May that be the truth and reality of us, for us. And God have mercy. Amen. Father, we're so thankful and we're so grateful that you are awesome, that you are powerful, that you are mighty, that you do all things and all things well, and that we are yours and you dwell in us and you're with us. We shall not fear. Fear nothing. It's you, O oh God, you are with us. Oh, Lord, I ask and I beg of you that you would stir our hearts to meditate on these things and dwell on who you are. And may that fill us to overflowing. And may we walk by faith as your children and see your power working through us and just be completely delighted as we walk with you. We ask this in Christ. Amen.